Hey guys, and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear old friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Mandy. How are you? I was not sure how I was going to introduce you this week. I was surprised myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Thank you. (laughs) And welcome to the show. There you go. Yeah. We're starting this week off right. Right. One week off and we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. No, that's accurate. Yeah. (laughs) So as Melissa just said, we are on an every other week schedule. So... Welcome back after a long two weeks away. I'm playing the, I won't sing it, but the Welcome Back Cotter theme song in my head. We're not going to pay for that, but I'm playing it in my head. So feel free to sing along in your head as well. (laughs) (laughs) So we have the episode today. Well, we're putting it out today, July 10th, and our next one will be out on July 24th. Yes. And uh, before we go into this week's show, um, we wanted to give a quick reminder that we did release a Patreon episode um, for the month of June. And uh, for that month, it was on Amanda Knox. So if you are interested in hearing that story again for the 4,000th time, possibly, then um, you can check that out at patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. Okay, way to sell it. Yeah. Well, it's us talking about Amanda Knox. If that sounds appealing to you, then go check it out. Yeah, it's our (laughs) twist on things. So we talk about eyebrows because she has some killer eyebrows. Yes. No pun intended. And I don't know, just ramblings of us. Mandy and Melissa style. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. I'm not even helping sell this. Yeah. This isn't good. (laughs) And I think that is all of the announcements for the week. Oh, I had one kind of announcement. Um, Well, this is an announcement. It is. So our friend Jody with Reality TV Podcast. Um, Love her. She's the best. She actually, this past Sunday, which would have been, okay, I'm in the future. Wait, I'm in the past, but I'm talking about the future in the past. <laughs> July 8th, after the uh, 90 Day Fiance episode on TLC, she will actually be on TLC right after, on the after show, which is super exciting. Go Jody. I know. So we can't <laughs> wait to watch it. So TLC likes to play things. Uh, several times so if you missed it on Sunday look out for it it's on like it's I think it's called 90 day live 90 day after show live this isn't good that's so cool for her though that's isn't awesome. that awesome congratulations yeah. Jody. yay Jody. so if you haven't checked out her podcast reality tv and make sure you check it out I know we have some like diehard 90 day fiance fans me and uh so check that out guys Mandy let's go <laughs> in other TV news, I started watching The Office. <laughs> you did. I had a joke. I I was bringing you in my joke in here, Mandy. I had it. I, I was setting I you up. Know? I know. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know what you're doing. I, I don't know what I'm doing either. Yeah, Mandy finally broke down and is watching The Office. Yes. You're three episodes in, Mandy. What do you think? I Careful. It's great. Okay. That's nobody's <laughs> buying that. Okay. Nobody's buying that. But I don't I'm know. I need, I need a little more time. First season is rough. It, well, it's not rough, but the minor characters don't do a lot in the other season, uh, other seasons rather. Um, they're awesome. Like they are just the best. That's like my favorite part of the show. So you'll love it. Give it time. That's awesome. And then last final thing that I just remembered, because I think this is the last episode that's coming out before then, but our one year anniversary, Yay. we've been talking about this uh, for a couple of episodes now. Um, that is on July 19th and we have ordered a cake and one of our dear friends and lovely listeners yes. sent us a very nice bottle of champagne Christine. to celebrate. Yes, Christine, she is so awesome, has always been so supportive. We yeah. appreciate her so much. And um, that gesture just blew me away. I was almost in tears in no. the parking lot at the gym. She and- was literally <laughs> had tears in her eyes crying at the gym before we went in the gym. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> it looked real weird what we were just like breaking open stuff in the parking lot and like our children are standing around and we're like yeah, taking like photos. Yeah. We're taking photographs with it. It's not a good look for yeah, us. No, we looked real <laughs> crazy in that moment. But um, so we are going to have the night of our lives on July 19th. We're going to do a Facebook live video. If you are interested in seeing that, um, you can join our Facebook group, Mums the Word. Melissa has created a little handy event in there for our one-year anniversary celebration. It's going to be, I believe, what time? 7 p.m. our time? Yeah, I'm Eastern sort time? of thinking that wasn't the greatest idea, but it's 7 p.m. Eastern. It'll work for us, okay. but people in California and beyond might not. So sorry about that. Mm-hmm. We have kids. Yeah. We, yeah. we planned everything around ourselves. My bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Um, so that's it, though. Yeah. I think for not having any announcements, we had a lot of talking. Really about sorry about nothing. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're a show about nothing. We're the Seinfeld of podcasts. There we go. I did it. All right. So this week, we are traveling again to Tallahassee, Florida. Woo-hoo. The last time we visited Tallahassee, it was for the case of Samara Frosch. And uh, we were not doing We Googled This City at that time. So Melissa, who is from Tallahassee, I'm sure is chomping at the bit to give you guys some facts she didn't want to hear. Yeah, um, I'm a Tallahassee lassie, and that's the first fact you need. Kidding. So here are just a few facts about Tallahassee. Tallahassee, if you are not from the States, you might not be familiar that Tallahassee is the capital of Florida, and it was chosen because it was in between what was in the two biggest cities in Florida, which I thought this was interesting, Pensacola and St. Augustine. Maybe at that time. Yeah, but isn't that interesting? Like St. Augustine now, it's like... And you already know my thoughts on Pensacola. <laughs> oh, gosh. you got to back off. I love everyone in Pensacola. You're lovely just people. just kidding. And you belong in our state. You might not want to be, but you're here. Um, yeah, but St. Augustine is like, you visit it, and it's a nice little town, town, I think of it, right? Isn't it like the oldest city? Yeah, that might make a little bit more sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I'm thinking of it at size. The there you go. If that's wrong, please edit this out. <laughs> I refuse to Google it, and we're leaving it in. <laughs> So as of 2016, the population of Tallahassee uh, is 190,894. It's not big. No. It's a little tiny baby town. And whenever your college isn't in, Florida State, Florida State, Florida State, whoo, nope, back off. Um, when, <laughs> when college isn't in, then uh, it, there's not. It's like a ghost town. Yeah. And when, like, the Senate or whoever's not in, it's very, very quiet. So um, it's believed... <laughs> And there's no college kids and no senators. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I really might edit that part out. That maybe sound really dumb. Um, it's believed that the first Christmas was celebrated in the United States um, in Tallahassee, part of the DeSoto encampment. I didn't Google any further, but um, I would like to say that Christmas began, well, probably in, not in Tallahassee, but, <laughs> but, but at some point in the U.S., Tallahassee made its mark, right? <laughs> Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, Tallahassee was also the setting and the title of the 15th episode of season eight of The Office. And that's where I was, excuse my voice, <laughs> and that's where I was going to put my joke that Mandy finally started watching The Office. Well, it's I one of my favorite episodes, to too. I knew it's you were so going to mention it at some point, and I was like, I got to tell, I got to say it first because. Yeah, you knew I was going to do it. There's yeah, no way I could no. make it three. Uh, it's been the best week of my life. I'm yeah. so excited. <laughs> All right. So those are my little factoids about Tallahassee. And the most important thing about Tallahassee, really, is it's the home of, like, a legend and just one of the most incredible human beings the world has ever known. If you're going to say you. And her name is Melissa. <laughs> I can't with you. Move on. It was a good one. 
So before we do start this episode, I wanted to make sure we emphasize that this case has not gone to trial yet. A lot of what you'll hear today comes directly from the testimony of a suspect in this case. We, of course, believe that you are innocent until proven guilty and cue law and order music that we can't afford to play. Go ahead, Mandy. We are real cheapos. (laughs) (laughs) At least that's how you make it sound. Okay. On August 5th, 2016, things had finally fallen apart for Denise Williams and Brian Winchester. This time, their relationship was really over. Denise was on her way to work when she realized that Brian had broken into her SUV and hopped up from the back seat to force her to drive at gunpoint. After nearly an hour arguing in the SUV in a CVS parking lot, Brian decided to let Denise go, but only if she agreed not to go to the police about their altercation. Denise asked Brian that day if they were going to die, and he said that he would be the only one dying. He finally gathered up his belongings from the SUV, including a tarp, a hammer-type object, and a bottle filled with bleach, and went on his way. So none of those things sound like things that you would have if you were only planning to harm yourself. Yeah, that's not a real convincing argument there. So Denise quickly went to the police. The couple who had been married since 2005 had been separated for almost four years and had filed for divorce. So where was all this coming from? Denise had hoped it would be an amicable split, but now it was clear that it was anything but that. Her estranged husband, Brian, was being held on counts of kidnapping and armed burglary, which could get him up to life in prison. Little did the quiet town of Tallahassee know the secrets this arrest would bring forth. Secrets. (laughs) I think that's from Conan O'Brien. I'm not sure where I came up with that. So Denise and Brian had actually both been married before. In fact, Brian had been best friends with Denise's first husband, Mike Williams. Mike was born on October 16, 1969, to working-class parents who scraped and saved to send him and his brother Nick to a prestigious private school in Tallahassee. Mike was a hard worker and was the best real estate appraiser in his company, according to his former boss. On December 16, 2000, Mike Williams, father of 18-month-old Ansley and husband of almost six years to Denise, had gone on a solo fishing trip to Lake Seminole, a popular fishing destination about 40 miles north of Tallahassee. It's like 40 miles north and like a time zone. It's all weird up there. Yeah, it is. You can, (laughs) my friend April used to live in Mariana Chipley, which unless you're from there, you've never heard it, but you, she would come to school in our town. And so they would pass time zones, which to me was always really weird. They'd like have to be up really early. Oh, that would, no. It never, that's weird. They were like, is it, is it our time or your time? Oh, wow. (laughs) Everything. Yeah. So it was just this weird little stretch of road. But Mike Williams never came home that day. Without a body, it can be very hard to declare a missing person as dead. But Denise was able to do so within six months of Mike's disappearance compared to the normal five years it takes in the state of Florida. Mike's waders, which are like fisherman boots that kind of... Go up to your neck? Go up to your neck, yeah. (laughs) And waders, they kind of... You know, you're able to like fly fish and stuff going into the water with those. Um... Those, his boat, his truck, and his life jacket were found. Um, He was not. Early on, it was theorized that he fell from the boat and was eaten by alligators. No one could be sure, but Denise was sure that he was dead. First of all, being eaten by alligators is the most Tallahassee theory I've ever heard. It's like (laughs) such a Florida way to die. Isn't it? Like that theory is like, um, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like we're like not batting an eye, but people from all over the world are probably like, what? What? Yeah. (laughs) People bought this? This is crazy. And by having Mike declared dead, she was able to cash in his three insurance policies that were worth around $2 million, one of which was written up just six months before he went missing, two of which were written up by his best friend, insurance agent Brian Winchester. 
So we are going to back it up and go into a lot more detail on this story after a quick word from our sponsor. Let's face it, periods are the worst. On top of the swelling and cramps and the bizarre cravings and the mood swings that make you go from Mother Teresa to Mother Gothel in a moment's notice, you also have to deal with the antiquated feminine hygiene products available on the market that offer no transparency on what their products are made of. Thanks to Lola, there's now a modern way to not only have your tampons, pads, and liners delivered to your home, but you are also able to create a customizable box so you'll never need to make a late-night trip to the drugstore again. If that's not enough, Lola is 100% natural and uses 100% organic cotton with no added chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. Lola now offers biodegradable, all-natural cleansing wipes that are individually packaged and perfect for a midday refresh. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, with Lola, you can actually do good with your purchase. For every purchase, Lola donates feminine care products to homeless shelters across the U.S. I love the convenience of having my monthly box sent right to my door and knowing that I can change my subscription up at any time to have the right variety for my needs. I also love knowing that my purchase can help women in need. So that's why we want you to check out Lola, a company for women's needs founded by women for women. For 40% off all subscriptions, visit MyLola.com and enter code MOMS when you subscribe. That's MyLola.com and enter code MOMS for 40% off your subscription. Denise Williams, who uh, was formerly Denise Merrill when she was not married, um, and Brian had actually known each other since preschool. They both attended the private school in Tallahassee, and that school went from preschool all the way through high school. So you are with the same group of kids from the time you're taught all the way up until you're graduated. Yeah. Um, which is a long time, I feel like, to go to school with the same people. It is. You really get to know each other. Is there anything like that here? That sounds like a stupid question, but like I knew a lot of people that went to this school. Are like that? Okay. Three years after they graduated, they both married their high school sweethearts. It just wasn't each other. Denise and Kathy, who was the one who went on to marry Brian, were even cheerleaders together. They lived in a small town and went to a small school. And since they had last names of Winchester and Williams, both Mike and Brian's senior pictures are even found right next to each other in the high school's yearbook. After high school, the four of them went on to attend Florida State. Florida State, Florida State, Florida State. (laughs) Woo! I shouldn't have given you a... a, Thank you. I wasn't even ready there. The couples who were uh, Brian and Kathy and Denise and Mike all got married in 1994 and began having children in 1999. So to say that they were a close group of friends would be an understatement. They've really gone through everything together. But things were not really all that they seemed uh, from the outside world. And according to Brian, he and Denise began having an affair shortly after they were married to their respective spouses in 1997. So, dang. Yeah. They didn't, I mean, they didn't even like wait for what do they call it? The seven year itch. Or yeah. Something there was like no that. itch. There was, they didn't even wait that long. There it was, was like, like a fungus years. way before. Yeah. <laughs> Mike was later quoted as saying, I had a good wife, I had a kid, and I had Denise on the side. This is messed up thinking, but in my mind, I had it pretty good. Denise and Mike, on the other hand, they were at each other's throats, and she had two million reasons for this to happen. Dun, dun, dun. I know. Like, very telling. And that sentence with him saying, I have a wife, I have a kid, and I have Denise over here. And I got my the life's side pretty piece. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, that's so – that is a crazy way of thinking. Like, Let's he doesn't want to mess anything that up. situation. Yeah. A lot of things. <laughs> According to Brian, Mike was also not happy. He was a real estate appraiser by trade and even thought that it may be a time to change his life up. He thought maybe a move, a change in careers, or even having a second baby would make life a little happier. Spice things up a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit of spice. Denise, on the other hand, did not want any of this. 
Denise was also growing more and more unhappy. She was no longer just content with being Brian's girlfriend, and she wanted something more. That's when the couple started talking about what Brian called scenarios, ways that the two could be together. I'm guessing option number one was not get divorced from our spouses and get married to each other. No, no, no. Denise refused to ask for a divorce because according to Brian, she didn't want to be seen as a divorcee. She cared too much about what others would say. So the two went over various scenarios together, whether or not they should kill Mike or kill Brian's wife, Kathy. Brian decided he didn't want to kill Kathy as she was the mother of his son. Logic. Yeah, okay, but this guy's the father of a daughter. Like, it doesn't make sense. I guess he thought maybe he would be full-time provider and that was not in his plan. Right? I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. Why one over the other? Yeah, I, well, when you're discussing, like, having one of your spouses killed, I guess, I mean, I don't know, I guess there's not really a lot of... It seems like they put some thought into this. (laughs) But the other thing was that Kathy had a life insurance policy that added up to less than a million dollars. So Kathy wasn't, (laughs) I know. So Kathy wasn't worth worth as much to him. That's... A whole thing is just so sad to me that they kind of put bounties on on the other spouse's right. heads. Like they were comparing like who's more beneficial to get rid of. Right. Like that's no. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. This case has not gone to trial. No, it has not. In Mike's case, he had actually just recently increased his policies thanks to some encouragement from his wife and best friend, the insurance agent. One of his policies was actually about to expire and the couple decided they needed to move it, their plan into high gear. After all, they wanted to do this before Denise and Mike's 18-month-old daughter would be old enough to really remember what happened to her dad. What? Yeah. Isn't that like, hurry, got to kill my husband. I don't want my daughter to remember him being around or being sad, maybe. That's a lot of premeditation in this that just upsets me. Or like that my mom planned to have him killed? Yeah, allegedly. So their goal was to make Mike's death look like an accident. During this time of planning, Brian felt that Denise tried to set herself up as a victim instead of a conspirator um, from the very beginning by saying things like it would be an accident instead of ever using the word murder with him. She would never talk about the murder to Brian specifically. It was just always the word accident. These are the scenarios that could happen. These are the accidents that could happen. That's sick. It is. And it's her way of like distancing herself, allegedly. It was just a week before Denise and Mike's six-year anniversary, and they had plans to go out of town to Apalachicola, which is a small coastal town, just a short drive from Tallahassee. I have never been there, but I like to say Apalachicola. (laughs) (laughs) Then on December 9th, 2000, the cheating couple made the decision that it was the perfect day for the accident. Brian would be taking Mike to a secret duck hunting location at Lake Seminole, which I guess Melissa used to visit as a child. It was lots of fun. We used to take my grandparents' RV and go there. Like, that's one of my most vivid kid memories for some reason. Oh, Yeah. How's that saying go? Failing to plan is planning to fail. And as much as I'd like to pretend I could just wing it through life, I know that I can't. But no matter how much planning I do, if I can't get a good night's sleep to execute it, all the planning in the world couldn't save me. And I'm sure you've been there before too. But thanks to Magnesium Breakthrough, no matter what my day looks like, I know I can go into it being well-rested and feeling great. For me personally, taking Magnesium Breakthrough before I go to bed has helped me solve some of those sleep problems, including that winding down after a long day, as well as tossing and turning while I'm rehashing literally every second of the day. 
And while there are a lot of magnesium supplements out there, only one can give you all seven forms of magnesium that are designed to help calm your mind and help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up feeling refreshed. And that is Magnesium Breakthrough. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to bioptimizers.com slash moms. Do it now. Your body and brain will thank you. Again, that's bioptimizers.com slash moms and use promo code moms during checkout to save 10%. So Mike and Brian uh, were avid hunters and Mike regularly hunted on his own. In fact, Mike had hunted since he was just six years old. The scenario that the couple had landed on was that Mike would wear waders, those big fishing boots that go all the way up to your ears, and Brian would push him in the water and the weight from the waders would cause him to drown accidentally. Brian knew Lake Seminole like the back of his hand, so it only made sense to plan something there. Just a little while before they were supposed to meet, Brian got a call from Mike saying that he was canceling this trip. And a few hours later, Brian spoke to Denise, and she said that she had gotten cold feet about the whole situation. Um, And Brian was surprised when she said that because they had been planning this for such a long time. It was such a big decision that they had come to, and he couldn't believe that she was ready to just throw it all out the window and, you know, cancel right. cancel the whole murder, I guess. There was so much on the line. I mean, I can't imagine saying to someone, I can't imagine why you want to cancel the murder. Yeah. <laughs> but that's true. That's true. But that this happens a lot. Like, uh, what was the Wolfpack one where it was like they canceled, you know, at one point, right. and then they still go for it. That really upsets me. It's one thing. I mean, it's all terrible, but if you've had this moment of, like, clarity and you still go through it, yeah, man, that stinks. So they didn't abandon their plan for too long. Uh, it was only a few days later that they were ready to try to execute this plan again. The very next Friday, Brian and his wife Kathy had gone to see the band Vast at Floyd's Music Club. Yes. So I – Floyd's Music Club is places – oh, Creed. Remember the band Creed? <laughs> this isn't a good one. I hey, do. Creed was from Tallahassee. I do remember the band Creed. Yeah. So they started at Floyd's Music Band – Music Store. Okay. Take it down a notch. They started at Floyd's Music Store, and that was like a big place in Tallahassee you'd go. They had dueling pianos. Have you ever gone to one of the dueling Oh, I love stores? dueling pianos. So fun, right? Yeah. So I remember I did that a lot in college. I, oh, you could go there at 18. seems like a very Melissa college thing to do. Yeah. Well, I once was hit on by a professor there and not like in, uh, what is it, Say by the Cell, Say by the Bell, the college years when there's like a hot professor that Kelly gets with. It wasn't like hot for teacher situation. No, it was like, <laughs> can I get you your stroller and help you out of here? It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't my best night. <laughs> so Brian and Kathy had some drinks at Floyd's and then they went home and slept hard. On the other side of town, Mike was ringing the Salvation Army bell and collecting donations, but the very next morning he would be dead. According to Brian, he and Denise had made the decision to have very limited contact before the murder and after. They couldn't garner up any suspicion. After all, Mike had already been talking to his mother, Cheryl Williams, in the months leading up to his death about the money that was missing from their joint account. He was worried that Denise may have either a secret life or maybe she was having an affair. And... He'd be right on both accounts. Yeah, bingo. Bingo. So the two had their alibis straight. Brian had told Mike a few days before the hunting trip that his phone was not working. So he would just need to meet him at the gas station on Thomasville Road near I-10 at the specified time. He, of course, did this, so there was no phone record of the two talking the morning of his disappearance. Here's something that always comes up in these cases that were like, why did you call the person? Right. And this is 2000, so it's 
right? 2000? Yeah. This is pretty advanced for the time. Right? Like, (laughs) they must have been watching Dateline at the time. Janice would be home that morning with her child and would make various calls to prove that she had, in fact, been home. So kind of creating her alibi via phone calls. I'd be mad if I was getting early morning phone calls so Janice could establish an alibi. alibi. Like, okay, thanks, you woke me up. Another very important part of this alibi is that Brian, part of his alibi was to like later that morning, go hunting with his father-in-law. And so that was supposed to happen right after meeting Mike. So even if they're working on a timetable, hey, he's with his father-in-law. This would be the alibi that he had chosen for the day of the murder. According to Brian, the two of men met up at the gas station, and then Mike followed Brian to the secret hunting spot on Lake Seminole. They got Mike's boat into the water, and everything was going as planned. They got into the boat, and at some point, Brian convinced Mike to stand up in the boat. And when he did this, Brian pushed Mike into the water. Instead of drowning, Mike quickly got out of his waders and was fighting to get back into the boat. And that is when Brian grabbed the 12-gauge shotgun that he had bought from an unsuspecting FSU student prior to the trip and shot his best friend in the head. Very quickly after, Brian states that Mike cried, sighed, and then his head went underwater and... Brian, at this point, quickly grabbed Mike and drug him to the shoreline, which was absolutely not part of the plan. In fact, according to Brian, um, Denise, they never really discussed a plan. And Denise never really wanted to know what specifics, what was actually Mm -mm. going to be done to her husband. And uh, it was her way of staying separate from kind of the murder, like as we kind of said earlier. And just so in her mind, it would just be an accident, you know, an accident that she helped plan for almost a year. Allegedly. Allegedly. After Brian pulled Mike to shore, he then went to grab his truck and backed it into the loading area and put Mike's body in the back of the truck. This also was not in the plan. Uh, there, At this point, there really was no plan. Any plan that he may have had going into it was out the window, and he is now um, just flying by the seat of his pants and making rash decisions about things. Yeah. Well, as the story goes on, you see, like, all these spots where they just, it's just like one crazy decision after another where you're like, oh my gosh, clearly you weren't thinking about this, yeah. which it's kind of like, okay, this, this reminds me of whenever people like an Anthony Curcio situation where it's like, he has this huge plan in place. Everything goes great. Now he has all this money. What do you do with it? Right. Like, like you never made it to that point. Or even like the one about the guys that uh, escaped from the prison and then they didn't have a plan for what they're going to do in right. the jail. Like you plan this for Literally months and months and months. Yeah. And like, then you didn't know what to do after. Like, just jot a couple yeah. plan Bs just, down. And that's just it. Just think it through a little tiny bit. So Brian quickly drove home. Uh, and now this is with Mike's body in the back of his truck. And on his way uh, back to his home, he broke down the shotgun and threw the pieces of it from the window um, while he was moving. When Brian got home, he snuck back in his room and laid next to his wife, who never even realized that he had left that morning. He quickly called his father-in-law to let him know that he would have to miss uh, the hunting date they had together as uh, he had overslept. That was the story he was going with now. Now, I couldn't figure out if he actually had planned to go with him, and then he called to say kind of like, oh, now I can't go because now I've got to deal with this body. You know what I mean? Or right. if or if the scenario all the time was to plan it, but you weren't actually going to go. No, I just think he had to think on his toes and say like, now what I – Obviously, I can't go for real and go hunting all day because I have a body in my truck. Like, I have to figure that out. So I feel like that was just, like, another kind of thing that was, like, not in the plan. That he just kind of had to do. You know, he had to do what he had to do at that point. 
Kathy stayed asleep as Mike left to go to the Walmart on Thomasville Road to buy a tarp, uh, all with Mike's body laying in the back of his truck. Mike drove to what was called Cars Lake back in 2000. Uh, He dug a two-foot hole and placed Mike and the tarp inside of it. For years, Brian considered moving the body uh, because there was always this fear that someone would eventually come along and develop the area and then they would find the body and his secret would be found out. He went there a lot from what he said. He visited that spot a lot and even pretty quickly after um, after he had killed Mike and some guys kind of came up there from what I read and he kind of like was like, eh, this isn't really a great spot or whatever. I mean, he was – it's one of those going back to the scene of the crime thing, literally, right. that people sometimes do. So news traveled quickly that Mike was missing. So at this point, Denise is telling the police, hey, I know my husband went hunting. He was by himself. He went out on Lake Seminole. That's really all the information I have. Right. And it was not unusual for him to go hunting by himself at all. Um, his mom said in something I watched um, disappeared on Investigation Discovery that that's just kind of what he did. That was like his quiet time. So um, as people are going to search, there's actually this really big storm that came through Tallahassee. And I read that it was like 19 degrees there at this time, which is cold for Tallahassee. Right. Really cold. And so this terrible storm comes through. And so it kind of delayed them all looking. Um, And so around 2 a.m. the next morning after the storm, Brian and his dad were out looking for Mike and they discovered his boat, which is convenient that brian discovered his boat on lake seminole it's not small you know and if this is a secret new secret duck hunting location like it's really i don't know it's you know it's florida it's like water wildlife it's not just a spot on the map right (laughs) i don't know you know i'm trying to say like it's you're not going to find that right off the bat just you're not going to so police were later would later find uh, waders and a life jacket. At the time, they thought that the jacket and waders were actually planted to give more credibility to the theory that Mike had drowned and was eaten by alligators. While there have been many drownings in Lake Seminole, it's said that Mike Williams was the only alleged drowning victim whose body was never found in the water. Police continued searching for Mike's body for an unprecedented 56 days. On day 10, the officers found a hat that they believed was Mike Williams. They hadn't seen the hat on the first nine days and said that it was actually in really good condition. It didn't have any slime or muck or anything you'd think of a hat that had been there for 10 days. And they've searched this area. They have the boat there. It's really weird that they found this hat. So Brian sees this hat and he says, yeah, you know, that looks like a hat that Mike had. So the police test it. They think it's kind of strange, has none of his DNA. So police actually think now that that was planted by Brian. Hmm. Yeah. Brian said that he and Denise had little contact after the murder. Uh, In fact, he never even told her exactly how Mike died. We talked about that a little bit before that she didn't want to know. He once did try to spill it, like lay it all out for her and she wouldn't let him. And according to Brian, as time went by, um, Denise was able to separate herself more and more from the actual murder, which was something that he himself as the one who actually killed Mike, was never able to do. Missing signs went up all around Tallahassee. Friends and family knew that Mike wouldn't have just left his child, and the alligator theory seemed really far-fetched, but they really didn't have anything else to go on. Mike's mom, Cheryl, never believed that her son would have just left and suspected foul play all along, but there was really no evidence to um, dispel this theory. After all, his truck and boat were there, as were his waders and life jacket. His wife even told police it was a solo hunting trip, and there was really no evidence to show anything else. 
In fact, Denise would eventually convince a judge in town that Mike had died that day in December and she would receive her payout from the insurance policies. At this point, Cheryl said that she wasn't really sure what she could do, so she started taking notes on what everyone was saying and quickly realized that things were not adding up. So Cheryl was just like a little pistol, too. She was yeah. just – she – I don't know. You want that lady on your side. Yeah. I will say that. She's yeah, the one that sure. went to Investigation Discovery. Like, she was going to find out what happened to her son, and she just did not – She didn't believe. She wasn't having it. No. no. So time went by, and Mike, of course, never came home. Brian and his wife, Kathy, eventually divorced in 2003, and in 2005, Brian went on to marry Denise. According to Brian, they decided to wait for a while to not ruse any suspicion. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they really, like, there were parts of this plan, allegedly, that were really well thought out. It wasn't, yeah. you hear these, like, murders, and then somebody gets married, like, within three months, and you're like, well, that's weird. Right. Five years. I mean, they waited yeah. a while. And it's funny that he got divorced, and she wouldn't. Yeah. After they were married, they even moved into the home that Mike and Denise had shared together. According to Brian, the couple had a pact and swore that they would never share what happened. They believed the only way anyone could find out the truth of what happened was if one of them turned on the other. And like many criminal couples before them, they believed they'd never be caught and they would never share their secret. The couple grew more and more paranoid in time. Mike's mother always believed foul play was involved, and eventually in 2004, she was able to have FDLE look into the case, Florida Department of Law Enforcement. The couple were so worried that they would be found out that it got to the point they believed their homes and cell phones were tapped. They would regularly pat each other down to see if the other oh was wearing gosh. a wire. <laughs> yeah, like, welcome home, honey. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, you can't ever trust that person. I mean, but how, how would you? They planned yeah. their spouse's murder. Yeah. You yeah. can't trust that no. person. I don't know. That's very strange. They also had a special code when they needed to talk about something related to Mike. They would sign the letter C, which would alert the other one non-verbally that they needed to leave the house and talk. They had a special like park that they would go to, um, which I wanted to know why the letter C. Because there, yeah. there had to be something. I was like going through everybody in my name, like all the weird words. I don't know. Caught? <laughs> Maybe it was just random. If you don't want to be C, caught, <laughs> let's go talk. <laughs> So police often believe that their home is actually where Mike had been murdered. Um, they were right. He had been murdered, just not there. So on the discovery thing, I'm sorry, the investigation discovery disappeared. It was interesting because they're talking about all the theories throughout it. And now we know based on, you know, the story, it's some parts of the investigation discovery were right. And some were way off. They were like, we think he got killed in his house. I'm like, well, sorry, you're wrong. I mean, good job, but you're wrong. In 2012, Brian and Denise's marriage was all but over, although the couple would not officially divorce until 2016. Brian grew increasingly worried that once they were divorced, there would be no such thing as marital privilege and that Denise would turn on him and blame the murder of Mike on him. And he just couldn't let that happen. In the years leading up to the kidnapping that we opened the story with, because um, remember, that's why we're in this position, because Brian has kidnapped Denise and is sitting in a CVS parking lot saying he's not going to hurt her, but has these plans to kill himself, I guess. Right. In the years leading up to this kidnapping, Brian's mother had died from cancer, and his son had found photos of his dad with escorts on his phone, prompting the boy to move in full-time with his mother. Denise was also no longer talking to him. Brian felt uh, his life had pretty much fallen apart and that he didn't have anything. According to Brian, when he kidnapped Denise, he begged her not to say anything to police about Mike's death, and she assured him that that would never happen, but going to the police is exactly what made this whole story eventually unravel. From what I understand with people in Tallahassee, um, 
when she, whenever he was arrested, there was always suspicion around this case. Like people that went to the school with them and stuff that had been friends with them because those people, preschool to senior year. They knew that they had all known each other. They all knew each other. So everyone thought like it was weird from the beginning. Like my mom said one of her best friends was like, oh yeah, we, we knew that's what happened. And, but there's never any proof and no one, I don't think anyone in the state of Florida believed that an alligator got him, even though like we have a lot of alligators here. Yeah. But yeah, no one we bought do, it. but like alligators don't really like eat people. Like right. that's the thing that people like, that's a misconception. Like an alligator is not going to straight up eat an entire human being. Like it's like a shark, like a shark attack. Like they don't bite you and then just devour your entire body. Like they let go. They don't want to eat you. That's not, you're not what they eat normally. Right. They just see something, they think it's food. And as soon as they realize that's not what, you know, that you're actually too big for them, they let go. Yeah. And you might be severely injured to the point of, drowning or dying right but they they don't eat you well now in lake seminole too like where they were it wasn't deep it was only in some parts like five foot deep so it's not i think where he what fell out of the boat maybe it was nine feet but it's not crazy you know what i mean yeah. like his body would have come up they would have found something right and like like i said earlier the he is the only body they've never found in lake seminole right Step into the glitzy world of June's journey and prepare for an adventure that's out of this world. Get ready to ditch the dull and dive into a world where mystery meets glamour and where June Parker's drama-filled escapades will have you hooked faster than you can say, flapper dress. Whether you're itching for a whodunit fix or just craving an escape from the mundane, June's journey is your ticket to excitement. Follow June as she unravels family secrets and untangles the web of mystery surrounding her sister's death. It's like joining a high society soiree, but with way more intrigue and way fewer dull conversations about the weather. Just kidding. You know we love a weather chat. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and immerse yourself in a world where every corner holds a new clue and every twist keeps you guessing. But hold on to your pearls because June's journey isn't just another run-of-the-mill mobile game. I'm already knee-deep in the fifth chapter of June's journey, and each chapter is more fun than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the toe-tapping music, everything about June's journey screams class. So what are you waiting for? Step into June's world and let the adventure begin. Can you crack the case? Download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. So Mike's mom, Cheryl, had never given up on finding justice for her son. She never believed the theory that Michael, who was a seasoned hunter and swimmer, had simply fallen into the water and drowned, only to be subsequently eaten by alligators. Cheryl knew that he couldn't have been eaten by alligators because alligators don't feed in cold water. That's interesting. I didn't realize that either, but she, like, um, talked to people at the at Florida State, like, big-time alligator people. I don't know exactly. There was a profession they had, but it's probably – Wait, crocodile hunter. He's dead. It wouldn't have been him. But he was at Florida State, people at Florida State, and they were like, oh, that kind of temperature? No way. Like, they were saying during the search party, people were, like, freezing. They had fires up for people to cool off. I mean, sorry, for people to warm up. And alligators are not eating. They're trying to get warm at this point. Right. And as you said before, it was, like, 19 degrees. It was cold. Right. Beginning on New Year's Day in 2012, Cheryl started a letter-writing campaign, and she wrote a letter a day to the governor of Florida, Rick Scott, where she was just sharing her thoughts and asking for his help. After writing over 200 letters, she was upset to not have heard any response back. 
She was informed that the letters never made it to Rick Scott's desk, but instead were rerouted to FDLE without ever being opened, and they were just put in her son's case file. That is so frustrating. How terrible. And upsetting. She's pretty amazing, though. I saw also where she hasn't seen her granddaughter for like 10 years, but every year she takes out an ad in the Tallahassee Democrat that's like a full page full page half page ad that's just like happy birthday grandma and grandpa love you like Aww. she was just it gives me chills because yeah. she just that was like the only thing left of her son and and she wasn't allowed to be a part of his life her life so the day after brian winchester was sentenced to 20 years for the kidnapping of denise williams winchester the body of mike williams was found exactly where brian said it would be after brian's confession police arrested denise on may 8th 2018 in her office at florida state university where she worked that looks best, worse for Florida State. <laughs> yeah. So she was charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and accessory after the fact. Denise's attorney, Ethan Way, said, quote, My client had absolutely nothing to do with Mike Williams' disappearance and had absolutely nothing to do with any of the crimes that Brian Winchester committed. A trial date has been scheduled for September 24th, 2018. So just a couple months away. On June 18th, 2018, Denise Williams was to have a request of bail considered by Judge James Hankinson. Due to the amount of information in the trial, he did not feel that a one-hour hearing would allow enough time to consider this case. An hour is all they scheduled it. Wow. We're talking confession There's so tapes. much going on in here, too. Like, yeah. One hour, so they moved it to the next day. Real exciting. And that was a full day of, I think each side had five witnesses, and there were tapes of Brian. He's telling the murder and Denise's alleged involvement. And Denise is now being held in a Leon County jail without bond until her trial in September that will probably get rescheduled because that's how these things go. Exactly. In exchange for his testimony against Denise and for leading police to the location of Mike's body, Brian will be granted full immunity offered by state attorney Jack Campbell and signed on October 4th, 2017. Full immunity. Full immunity. None of the statements Brian made about the murder could be used against him. In addition, as part of his plea deal, he could not be sentenced to life in prison for the previous kidnapping of his ex-wife Denise, but received a 20-year sentence instead. State Attorney Campbell later said, After this many years, we had the opportunity to recover this man. I'm quite confident we would have never found him if I had not taken this step. Everything that has happened to date would not have happened had we not played that card. It was a hard decision. I think and hope it was the right one. The other one was to go with the status quo we've had for 18 years. That is insane. So she. So what is this telling me, Melissa? That he's going to walk free for he gets 20 murder? years. Yeah. So he got immunity from everything that he said. He, he and he pinned it all on her. That's the whole thing with this. He is able to say with this now. Again, she hasn't gone to trial yet. He hasn't gone to trial yet. Well, he's not going to trial for this. But so he can't get life in prison for kidnapping. So. He, his attorney was smart enough to say, you better put that at 20 years. And then none of his testimony can be used against him. And he could be lying about all this. She could have had nothing to do with it. He could have done all this on his own. Really? Right? I mean, there's no... Yeah, this case is a bananas. There's no... Like, her attorney should, in my in my legal opinion, I feel like her attorney has some stuff to work with. He got yeah. off scot-free. Like, yeah, that's all yeah, you have yeah. to say to me as a juror. She, He got off scot-free for murder, for saying he committed murder. And as he said, she never knew exactly what happened. Right. And so she can still be like. They could give her a lie detector yeah. test and she didn't know what happened. Yeah. Did you know what happened? No, she didn't. You know, so that is just a bananas case. And it my is. mind is. Blown. Yeah. Wow. I wonder what his mom thinks about it, though, because 
she wanted everyone to pay that was involved. And I wonder if she thinks like it's worth it if she thought like Denise was the mastermind or something. So it's better for her to be charged. But she's got a lot of big charges and he's got I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, but she was his wife, though. I don't know. I feel like I would be very upset with her. Like even I mean, of course, like both of them. But like as his wife, like she could have been. The one she could have stopped like, it at any point. We're not going to murder my husband. Let's stop this silly little plan right now. You yeah. know, like you could say we're not doing that, or I'm not going to like allow my husband to go walk out the front door to his she death. She stopped like, it the first you know, time. Yeah, allegedly. So, anyway, very sad. Very very sad all around. So um, we might just title this episode allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> oh yeah, but I'll be interested to see what happens uh, in September, and if we have any updates later on, we will let you guys know. So welcome to Tallahassee, home of some crazy, crazy stuff. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that story. Yes, um, Melissa. Yes. What do you have for me next? Okay, so next we have last thing before we go. Which then we have a couple promos, so it's not quite the last thing before we go. So, Mandy, two questions for you. First one, who or what is your spirit animal and why? This is by Taylor Gould in our Facebook group. I'm going to say gold, but it might be Gould. I like it either way. It's a chicken. Shout out, Taylor. It's a chicken. Her name is a chicken? No. (laughs) My spirit animal is a chicken. Thank you, Taylor. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, end of story. I mean, you eat off the ground and poop everywhere? (laughs) Why do no, you I want to? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That's why it's my spirit animal. Um, there's no reason, Melissa. I just connect with them on a deep and spiritual level. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> so I feel like I have various spirit animals, and mine are all people because animals is your thing. So April Ludgate <laughs> from Parks and Rec, super sarcastic. Mostly in my mind, I'm pretty, like, dark-humored. I Mandy hears a lot of my dark humor, but I edited a lot of it out. Oh, (laughs) boy. I get to hear it all. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like whenever I'm really ragey, I'm Elaine from Seinfeld. She's always really ragey. (laughs) And when my cheeks get hot and red, I'm like super mad. And that's where I'm at right now. My (laughs) cheeks are so red right now. Um, And who else? Oh, Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec as well, because just give me all the meat and eggs. Bacon and eggs, that's all I want. I'm going to have to watch Parks and Recreation now. Okay, please don't even start. I've tried to get you to watch that one for even longer. But start with The Office and then move to Parks and Rec. I think you'll like both of them. They're both really good. I'm never going to ever recommend Arrested Development for you. I just, I don't know that you'll ever appreciate it the way it should be appreciated. <laughs> I think you recommended it to me when we first started hanging out. And I, I tried watching it like for five minutes. And I just didn't, I just, I, I, it wasn't for me. Okay, that hurts. All right, <laughs> on to the next one. Um, Mandy, fashion trends that you think need to die a slow death. This is brought to us from Hannah with the Boozy Movie Podcast. Well, Boozy movies. one that I wish would die a quick death is high-waisted everything. Oh, man. I don't think it makes – I don't think – This is us. We have Florida style, first of right. all. And then mom style on top of that. Yeah. Don't listen well, to us. you would think that I would love high-waisted stuff then because that's like the yeah. exact definition of like mom 
jeans. I know. I don't know. I don't think it makes you look like, okay, here's my, here's my issue. I think they're cute in the front, but like in the back when it makes you look like your butt goes all the way up to like the middle of your back. It just makes your whole backside look too elongated. Here's the thing. I just don't enjoy it. I'm here for that because that's the actual shape of my butt. It goes from my shoulders to my knees. I have a pancake butt like Hank Hill. Um, So for me, like I connect with that look so much. I don't. I'm appreciative for that. Please, everyone, keep wearing that and ignore Mandy. I should actually buy some. Actually, all of my clothes basically are that whenever, as soon as I step into them. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, do you have any more? Um, no. Like, I mean, I can't think of any right this second. Okay, I'll do one. And if you come up with another one, let me know. The other one I hate is, and I just saw this yesterday. And this was a Kardashian thing. Basically, anything the Kardashians do, it's annoying to me. They were wearing like workout clothes, like straight up workout clothes and like high boots. Oh, what? Yeah. Like that's fashionable. I don't know if it's fashionable, but it's, yeah, these like high cute boots. But then you're like, why are you wearing sweatpants with that? It doesn't. <laughs> that's what I would do when I went to go get my mail <laughs> because I'm like, well, these are the only shoes. <laughs> <laughs> These are the only shoes I have, so I go out with it. Apparently, I'm on trend. Well, I feel like I if no you're idea. a Kardashian, you can do that, though. Like, I don't know, because wasn't it them or wasn't it, like, Kanye or someone who was wearing, like, I mean, literally, it looked like they were wearing clothes that they just pulled out of a garbage can, like, like the ripped shirt. And, oh, like, his whole line was like that, I think. That is so hideous. It is. Um, I would agree with you 100%. I have that kind of money. I'm not purposely wearing shirts with holes in them. That makes no sense. No. I'm trying to not wear those in public. <laughs> exactly. I already have plenty of those. Yeah. We've been in fashion and we had no idea. I called it in fashion. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> in style. Very, they've been very in vogue. There you go. Pancake button. <laughs> Heeled boots and pajamas or whatever. You know, I used to really hate on wearing like yoga pants and stuff in public. Oh, that's my <laughs> uniform. That's like all I wear now. I used to think like, okay, put some real pants on. But now I get it. I understand. Yeah. It totally I get it. Sense. That's literally all I wear. And now that we go to the gym, I just like wear my workout clothes all day. And I'm just like, look at me. I work out. <laughs> like, well, but even though if you look at me, like, you're like, oh, she probably doesn't work out. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, what happened there? <laughs> I'm saying that about me too. I'm totally kidding. Mostly me, not you. That sounded really bad. And we're going to get letters about that. No. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I wear workout clothes wherever I can. Yeah. And then it like, it doesn't motivate me to work out at all, but um, – Sometimes I will work out if I'm wearing them because then I think, well, what's your excuse now, dummy? Well, if you just wear them 100% of the time, and, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you might work out. So accidentally. <laughs> All right. Perfect. That went on way, way too, too long. long. Sorry about that. <laughs> so this week we have a couple promos. Um, this is a little bit different. So the first one is um, a promo from uh, the guys, the guy and gal with All Crime and No Cattle. So you might have heard of them. They're really, really great. They do. Uh, stories out of the Lone Star State. I sound cool saying that, Texas. Don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with Texas. And don't mess with the husband on the show, Shay. His, like, social media skills, he always has, like, a video that goes with this thing. And I'm like, oh, why don't we do that? And then I remember it takes time. And I say, yeah, have your thing, Shay. Have your thing. So um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome, though. They're really, really cool. 
Um, and then the other thing we're doing, and this is a little bit different. Our friend Javier with Pretend Radio just made us the coolest promo in the history of the, the world. Coolest. So you'll hear it around because we're like sending it to lots of people, um, <laughs> hopefully. Um, and then we're going to play six minutes of his next episode. So um, I listened to this earlier. It's crazy. I can't wait to see where the story goes. I don't know Everything why he Javier did this. does is so amazing. Like all of every, all, every podcast he produces is like, just incredible. I know, so I know. There's honestly no way to not love it. So don't shut this off. Please listen to all of it and then find a new podcast that you love. Yeah. Um, pretend Radio. It's so great. So, so great. Yeah. So six minutes, n- totally worth your time. And then you'll get to hear the rest of it on his new episode. Subscribe to both of these shows. They're great. We love them. They're wonderful. I'm more excited than my tone just let on, but they're yeah. so great. So have a great week, guys. And we'll see you in two weeks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. All okay. Right. All right. All right. See ya. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Hi, true crime fans. I'm Erin. And I'm Shay. We host All Crime, No Cattle, a conversational podcast which focuses on true crime stories from the Lone Star State. We strive to bring you a balanced and well-researched story about Texas cases big and small. We do the research so you don't have to. We also end every episode with a good news story, just to remind everyone that real life isn't quite as depressing as true crime can make it out to be. New episodes drop every Thursday, and you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All crime, no cattle, because crime is bigger in Texas, y'all. It's 1972, and you're slowly filing into an American Airlines Boeing 727 with 90 other passengers right behind you. A young man going by the name of Robert Wilson enters the plane. I was in the middle of the seat uh, about seven or eight aisles up from the uh, back of the plane. He may sound like an old man now, but back in 1972, He was a fresh-faced 28-year-old punk dressed in a sports coat and yellow trousers. Oh, and his name wasn't really Robert Wilson. It was Martin McNally. He wasn't a businessman either. McNally was here to hijack this plane. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend Radio. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. announces that they'll be landing in 15 minutes at their final destination, but no one is going to Tulsa today. McNally is going to take control of this plane and jump out of it with half a million dollars. But there's still time to call it off, right? Who am I kidding? It's too late for that. So I I, I sat there and I I was thinking to myself, well, kid, uh, this is it. you're either going to do the job now or you can forget about it forever. Uh, pump up your nuts and uh, get it done or or you're going to have problems when, you, when we land in Tulsa because you're going to have to get off the plane and you're going to have this uh, weaponry in your attache case and they may have metal detectors there in Tulsa. So after thinking that over very quickly, uh, I asked the... Uh, fellow that was sitting next to me, I said, where's the restroom in this plane? 
He said it's in the back on the right-hand side. Uh, men part in the, in the back on the right-hand side. I said, okay. So I leaned down and picked up, very, very tenderly picked up my uh, attache case. That thing weighed about uh, at least 20, 20 pounds, maybe, maybe more. McNally makes his way to the bathroom. Once inside, he pulls out a shaggy brown wig, sunglasses, and a shotgun. And then I pull out the gun, and I uh, very, very, very cautiously engaged the uh, chamber, chambered one of the uh, one of the bullets. It was ready to go. All I need to do now was pull the trigger, and that thing's going to go off. And then I put on uh, the uh, rubber gloves. And then uh, I opened the door. I got my sunglasses on. I opened the door, closed the door. Now I'm in the back of the plane all the way, and none of the passengers can see me or or are looking at me. So for about uh, at least two or three minutes, I'm trying to wave uh, one of the stewardesses back to me, and she wasn't looking at me. But when she came back, the first thing she said was, don't hurt anybody. And I, I told her, I said, young lady, I'm not here to hurt anybody. I got a, uh, a note for the pilot. Take this up to the pilot immediately and come back to me right away. She takes the note to the pilot and quickly returns. McNally tells her to clear some of the seats towards the front of the plane. So there was a, a, a family, a, a dude, his wife, and two kids. He told him, uh, you need to move up to the first-class section. When the husband got up, that was another another story altogether. When he got up, he was about, I would say, six or seven feet in front of me. He turned around, and he was looking at me. Looking at me. He wasn't blinking. I wasn't blinking. And that went on for about 30 seconds. So I know what he's thinking in his brain. I need to take this guy out. And he's thinking that uh, if he can uh, uh, get me off guard uh, with a blink, blinking my eyes for something, he could quickly charge me. I know what he's thinking. So I took the gun and I pointed it directly at him and gave him my dog growl, like, and he turned around and uh, booked it up to the first class section at that point in time. Uh, if he had tried something, uh, yeah, this, this thing would have kicked off some uh, slugs into his body. And uh, it would have probably killed him uh, because I, I would have done my best to kill him. He sits down. Then the pilot comes on the intercom. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot speaking. A passenger needs to return to St. Louis. So that was the first notice that the passengers had that we were returning to St. Louis. Pretend Radio is a documentary podcast about people pretending to be someone else. I interview real con artists, snake oil salesmen, and former cult members. Anyone living a lie. Search for Pretend Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. 
You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com